Let's come before the Lord in prayer, shall we? Father in heaven, thank you for the great blessing that it was yesterday for so many of us to gather together for an extended period of time, to share life together, to look at your word together, to pray together, to have fun together, to play sport together. And thank you for the gentle reminder throughout that day, Lord, that you long for us to be a people who are characterized by prayerfulness and dependence upon you. And we pray this morning, Lord, that you would create within each of our hearts a real yearning and a hunger to pray. Lord, that it would become less of a duty and more of a joy in our life as we recognize you as our loving Heavenly Father. And so as we come before you now and pray for some of the needs of this church and indeed the, the needs of the world in which we live, we thank you that you are our Father in heaven. Thank you that you are unlimited in goodness. You want to give good things to your children. You're unlimited in wisdom in knowing what is good and when to give it and when to withhold. And you're unlimited in power and authority and majesty and your resources to give. And so, Father, in that context, we pray knowing that you're a God who listens and cares for the world that you've made. Father, in light of the week that has just been, we do pray on the back of a significant week for Europe. We pray for our country. Indeed, we pray for the continent in which we live. And, Father, we're aware that the decision that was made on Thursday may not have been what some of us in the room desired. But, Lord, we want to acknowledge now this morning that you are sovereign over all things. And we pray that the decision that was made and that all the decisions that will be subsequently made in the coming weeks and months and years will be decisions that bring glory to your name. And, Father, we pray not just for the economic stability of our country and this continent, Lord, but more importantly, we pray for its spiritual health. We pray that your wonderful gospel would take root across Europe. We pray that people would be saved. We pray that your church would flourish and we pray that you would establish your kingdom as you promised to. We commit the future into your hands, Lord, and rejoice in the fact that there is no better place to leave it. We give you thanks as well for the encouragement that it's been to be joined by our friends from Romania. We pray for Julian and for Lydia and for Julia and for Catalin. We thank you, Lord, for that wonderful partnership that we share in the gospel. Thank you that we are family, divided geographically by water, but united by a wonderful saviour. And we pray for their congregation this morning, today in Kalarash, as they meet in their absence. We pray for them, Lord, that as your word is taught, as they come together, that you would encourage them as you would encourage us. Lord, that whether we live in Longcrendon or in Kalarash, Lord, you would be readying us as your people to worship you and to witness for you in your world. We take a moment now, Father, in the quietness of our own hearts to bring before you others that are known to us in this congregation and outside who are in desperate need of your work in their hearts and in their lives at this point in time. Father, we pray not only for their circumstances, but we pray for their hearts, that through all that life brings, Lord, you would be growing your people to know you and to love you more.
And so finally, Father, as we turn our attention to your word this morning and the preaching of it, we want to pray for Mark as he preaches in Wheatley this morning. We pray for that church as they establish their leadership team this week. We pray for Jane as she speaks at the Meadowcroft service this afternoon, and we pray for Neil as he preaches this morning. Lord, we pray for ourselves that you would give us ears to hear this morning, that as we think about this incredibly rich and important subject of biblical manhood and womanhood, would you please not only help us to listen, but help us to think, help us to ponder, and help us to apply these things to your, to our hearts, Lord, that we might fulfill those God-given roles that you place before us. And we pray all these things for the name of our wonderful Saviour, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Do open up your Bibles. We're going to have a reading now from Genesis chapter 1. So Bibles at the ready, and Yvonne is going to come and read to us. The reading this morning is from Genesis 1, starting at verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then chapter 2, starting from verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Thanks very much, Siobhan. Thank you. Well, as if your prayers we've prayed, so um, we'll get uh, straight into this passage. I um, don't know how many of you read this book by Carrie Sandham, different by design. Um, she writes at the beginning of the book about how she was sitting on an underground train in London um, one day on a Saturday night and just observed what was going on around her. And um, this is what she says. She says the compartment was almost full. 
and the noise was quite overwhelming. There was a group of men at one end celebrating another Chelsea victory in the Premiership. So obviously must have been written a little while ago. Um, <laughs> and a group of young men at the other, dressed to the nines and ready for a night out on the tiles. Beside me were two women talking about their earlier shopping spree on Oxford, Oxford Street. And opposite me were three men who seemed to be talking about the various injuries they'd inflicted on people in their past, whether accidentally or on purpose. Listening alternately to both conversations, I couldn't work out which was the more horrifying, hearing about the vast amounts of money spent on shoes in Selfridges or the gory details of a street fight in Aberdeen. Carrie describes um, another incident when she was on the underground as well, where a heavily pregnant woman got into a very crowded compartment and a young man jumps up and offers her his seat and um, only to be berated by a loud and aggressive tone, I can stand very well, thank you, and I'm rather offended that you think otherwise. Now, men and women are different, aren't they? But the differences have been blurred to the point where men are no longer sure what it means to be a man, and women are no longer sure what it means to be a woman. Uh, the situation is further complicated by the fact that there are changes in, in gender identity as the way people perceive them. Uh, Mark pointed out recently on Facebook, uh, on the user's profile, in addition to male and female, there's now a third category of custom. And under that, there are a choice of 71 different options for what you think your gender is. Although apparently only 1% choose it. There's been a huge increase in uh, online pornography. Um, and films like Fifty Shades of Grey have caused problems in how men and women relate to one another. Uh, domestic abuse has increased. Every year, 1.4 million women experience domestic abuse, and 700,000 men experience domestic abuse. And if you were to ask Pastor Julian about the situation in Romania, he would say it was probably even worse. And that is why, as a church, they're putting on um, courses for, for fathers. And then there is the massive increase in divorce. 42% of marriages now end in divorce, over double what it was 50 years ago. A massive increase in single-parent families, two million single-parent families in this country today. Where are all the dads? What should we, as Christians, think about this issue? Are there differences between men and women? Are they purely biological? Are they just so that we can procreate or enjoy sex? Or are there other physiological differences? And if so, why? Were we made different for a reason? Well, if we believe that we are designed and created by God and we're not just a random collection of, of chemicals, then it must be important for us to try and understand what God had in mind when he created us male and female. Because as we will see over the next few weeks, this has implications for our marriages, it has implications for all of our relationships um, outside the church and within the church family. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at a few passages, the key passages in the Bible, um, that will hopefully help us understand what is God's design for men and women. Now, we all here believe, um, uh, if you are a Christian, that uh, the Bible is the inspired word of God. It is our ultimate authority. Um, so we're going to look together at what the Bible says and pray that God will make it clear to us. There will be opportunity at some point, probably the end of this um, series, to, to come together and discuss 
um, what we've heard, to ask questions and to, to um, talk that through. Um, but anytime if you feel you want to have a chat with any of the pastors, do feel free to come and talk to us um, about things that are raised. So we're going to start this study by looking at some passages from Genesis, as Yvonne read for us, because these are the creation ordinances. Um, these are fundamental to the teaching of the rest of the Bible about what it means to be male and female. For example, when Jesus is asked uh, the question about divorce and the New Testament, he replies, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? So the first passage we're going to look at as we consider the subject is Genesis 1, um, 26 to 28 particularly, which describes God's creation of humankind. And the first thing we see in these verses is that God decided to make us. And then he went ahead and he did it. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So essential to understanding ourselves is that we are created beings, created by God, the almighty creator. We came from him, and we therefore owe our existence to him. We're not going to go into to how he did that. We're, we're not really told that in the Bible. And we've had a, um, a bit of a series on that in the evenings so recently. But we're told that he did it. And we're told why he did it. He created us for a purpose. And that was, as it says here, to rule over the earth and everything in it, including all the animals, birds, and the fish. So he made us different from the animals. We're meant to rule over them. We're also meant to look after them. Uh, we're meant to look after this planet on which we have been placed. But ultimately, the purpose for which we have been created is to glorify God, the creator. Where do we get that from? Because it says here, we've been made as humankind in his image. Have a look at verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, we could spend ages debating what it means to say that we've been made in the image of God. But let me just um, give you a few um, pointers as to what that is getting at here. I think, first of all, like the, uh, the three members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, who relate to one another, um, we are relational beings. We relate to one another. And we are able to relate to God. We have a unique ability as God's creatures to relate to him. We have that capability that he's given us. We are special. We are the pinnacle of God's creation. Secondly, as we've seen already, in the same way that God is a ruler, we too have been made with the ability to rule, to rule over the earth. He put us here to have dominion over the animals, but under God's rule. And thirdly, as far as God's nature is concerned, we, we share many of his attributes, um, obviously to far lesser degrees. So, and so we have certain amounts of wisdom. We can think, we can reason, we can debate. And we've had a lot of that recently, haven't we, with the EU referendum. We have amounts of love. We can give, we can receive love. 
Um, we do that in our relationships with, with one another. We have a certain amount of holiness. Unlike animals, we have consciences uh, that allow us to make moral decisions. And ultimately, it means we can only truly understand God if we look first at God in whose image we have been made. But as far as the theme of manhood and womanhood is concerned, it means that God created both man and woman in his image. There's no more of the image of God in one than the other. Uh, it's not possible for one or the other to reflect God's image on their own. Together, we do that. And therefore, we're equal in his sight. We're equally valuable to him. We're equally loved by him. So by being made in God's image, we have an intrinsic dignity. That dignity doesn't depend on what we achieve in this world. It depends on the approval of God. Depends on his grace. When he made us, he was pleased with what he made, and, and after we then rebelled against him, and that image became distorted, he then redeemed us. He brought us back. He was pleased to welcome us back as men and women. So what are the implications then of that? Um, uh, being made in God's image, being equal before God for us in our, our relationships. Well, firstly, in terms of relationships between men and women, it means that we are to respect each other as humans made in the image of God. Otherwise, we will be dishonoring God. There should be no putting down of one another. There should be no verbal, no emotional abuse, let alone physical abuse. It means men and women, secondly, are both accountable to God. Since he has made us, he is the one who defines who we are, and he is therefore entitled to give us instructions as to, to how we should behave as his created beings. And that involves huge freedom. As it says here, look at verse 16. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. That is a huge freedom, isn't it? But also certain restrictions for our good. And so in verse 17 he says, But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And so when we break those commands, we are equally accountable to, to God. God holds um, us responsible for, um, for our rebellion against him. It also means that since the fall, both men and women are equally offered the chance of redemption, of being saved from, from our sins. We looked um, in Galatians 3 recently at uh, this verse from uh, tw- verse 26 in Galatians 3. Let me read it for you. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now what they're saying there is it's not that we lose our distinctiveness as men and women when we become Christians. Uh, It means none of these differences that we have, either in race or gender or social status, um, none of those affect our standing before God. 
The only thing that matters is if we have put our trust in Jesus Christ as our saviour. So we're made in God's image. Going back to Genesis 1, 27. The third thing we note, and uh, the one on which we're going to spend um, the rest of our time, is the fact that God made us male and female. He made us of two different sexes, two different genders. Now, as I asked at the beginning, why was that? Um, was it just about sex and procreation, or were there other reasons? Does being equal before God mean having the same responsibilities in this life? Or did God intend from the beginning to give us different roles to perform, different ways in which to express our equality before him? Well, let's have a look at Genesis 2 for some clues to this. Remember, this is before the fall, so this is God's ideal for humankind. And Genesis 1 tells us that God has made us male and female in his image. He's very pleased with that. He could have left it there. But chapter 2 then zooms in on God's creation of humankind and gives us a bit more detail. And the reason is probably because to, to show us just how important the relationship is between men and women. So what do we see from these verses? Well, the first thing we see is that the man is created first. Have a look at verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Then we have the description of the Garden of Eden and God putting the man in the garden to, uh, to work it, to take care of it, to rule over it. Then we come to verse 20, and it says, um, But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. He'd just gone through naming the, the, um, the animals. Um, so the, the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now, you could say, well, why did God create man and woman in this order? Why not simply take a larger bit of clay and make man and woman at the same time? Wouldn't that make it um, more clear that they're equal? Well, I think the reason is that we've already established back in Genesis 1 that man and woman are equal. They're both made in God's image. So presumably there must be some other significance in the fact that man was created first and then woman. After why does Paul mention that in 1 Timothy 2 when he says, for Adam was formed first... Then Eve. If it's not to do with position and status, then um, presumably it's to do with the relationship between them. They're different responsibilities and, and, and roles. And what it appears to be saying is that by this, that the man has a first responsibility. Throughout the Bible, there's a reference to, to the firstborn. God refers to Israel as the, the firstborn. And what that means is there is a responsibility of um, uh, leadership in the firstborn. It's taking the leaders, being an initiator. It's not taking a back seat. And what that leadership responsibility primarily entails is a moral responsibility. Where do we get that from? Well, not only does God not make man and woman at the same time, but neither does he give them the instructions at the same time, even having made them both, he first of all goes to the man. Look at verse 15. The Lord God took the man 
put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. So God gives the command first to the man, expects him to pass it on to the woman to be responsible for her. He's making him primarily accountable. What else leads us to this conclusion? Well, look what happens when they disobey God. In chapter 3, it's the woman who first disobeys God and then the man. Now, of course, it doesn't really matter who is disobedient first. They are both responsible for their actions. Um, they can't make excuses. But what would you expect God to do? Wouldn't you expect him to call them both together and to confront them both? But what happens? Verse 9, he says, verse 8, first before that, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He calls to the man. He doesn't call either to the woman or both of them. And in verse 11, he says to the man, have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The command was given to him. He was primarily responsible and God calls him to account The man is given primary moral responsibility. Thirdly, the man is created to work the garden and take care of it. Having described the beauty of the Garden of Eden, uh, it then says in verse 15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Work or doing things um, is something which is intrinsic to, to manhood. When men meet with other Male friends is often doing something, um, maybe playing sport, maybe doing jobs, work together. Um, men are often competitive, they're often single-minded. If they see a problem, they want to, to fix it. Men often quite, can't quite understand that when women complain about something, quite often all they want is someone to actually to listen to them um, and console them, rather than just jumping in and trying to fix it the whole time so that they will feel better. But men on their own wouldn't be able to function without um, women because they're lacking in so many different areas. And that's why we come on to to the next point here, that the woman is created as a suitable helper. This is the words that we read here for the man. It's a beautiful paradise which um, God has placed man, but God has acknowledged there is something missing. And in verse 18, he says, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So God creates a woman from one of his ribs. And when the man wakes up, he sees this gorgeous sight in front of him. He's dismissed all the, the animals as uh, not being able to be able to something to, he can relate to. But suddenly, there's this woman here. And he waxes poetically, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This creature is the only one who at last meets my need for a partner, for a companion. She alone is my equal, my very flesh. She's not a rival, but a partner. And that's why we have these words in verse 24 of chapter 2. For this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. 
at the heart of marriage. It's not a human custom. It's a divinely created um, institution representing a reunion of what was originally one flesh. So it's more than just sex. It's a fusion of two lives coming together. And the perfection of that initial unity is seen in the fact there is no shame. There is nothing they feel they need to hide from one another. They are naked and they feel no shame. But what do we do with this phrase, helper? Because in some people's minds, that that feels sort of dog-spotty. That feels something almost subordinate, secondary. But this word, helper, in the Bible is a much more positive word. It's a word used of God. If uh, you go to Deuteronomy, Moses um, says to the people of Israel, God is your shield and helper and your glorious sword. In the Psalms, it says, the Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. That basically means they could not survive without the Lord's help. And the same is true of men. They could not survive without women. To talk about a suitable helper is to talk about someone who will match him, who will complement him, who will supply what he lacks. Hence, an ideal partner could be another translation. And part of it is recognizing that women and men have different qualities. Whereas men tend to be more task-orientated, they like to plan things and get things done. Women tend to be more people-focused, concerned about the relationships involved in getting those things done. Now, these are generalities, but these are are things that are are intrinsic to manhood and womanhood. Women have greater empathy, greater sensitivity to the the needs of others. They're they're often superior in verbal communication. It's said that a a woman's idea of uh, communication is um, uh, sharing thoughts and feelings, um, whilst a man's idea is scribbling a note to his wife to say he's gone off to play golf. Men are more able to compartmentalize their lives. Philip Jensen calls this the, uh, the waffle and uh, <coughs> spaghetti factor. Um, generally speaking, men can organize different aspects of their lives, their work, their family, their church, their leisure. Um, putting it into neat boxes like a waffle, those little squares you have on a waffle. Whereas women are more like a bowl of spaghetti where everything is connected with everything else. Um, so they can think about work and family life and social life and what to cook for dinner uh, at the same time. Uh, they can multitask in a way which men often can't. So what are the implications then for, for us as Christian men and women? Well, first, thing is, first of all, means we don't need to all do the same thing. We can have different roles and different responsibilities according to the way God has made us. Um, that doesn't affect our equality before God. The same way that the members of the Trinity have different roles, that the Father sends the Son. Um, the Son is obedient to the Father. Uh, the Spirit proceeds from the, the Father and the Son. They are all equally God. And we'll see what that looks like in different contexts in coming weeks. But part of the challenge um, to men here this morning is, are you living up? to the responsibility that God has given you? Are you leading by example? When King David was about to die, he called his son Solomon to him, and he said to him, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. 
So be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him. To be a real man is to walk in obedience to God. What are the role models that our culture is giving to to our teenagers today? Um, is it people like Jeremy Clarkson? Funny guy. Um, makes you laugh. But basically still a boy, isn't he? Um, remember that TV comedy, um, Men Behaving Badly? It was funny because there was so much truth in it, wasn't it? Um, many men failed to, to grow up, failed to take responsibility, show commitment, show faithfulness, show loving kindness, show perseverance. To protect and care for women, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. And this is where we need to be clear. This is not just talking about husbands and wives here. It affects all of our relationships with those of the opposite sex. There are some great spiritual men and women in this church, great spiritual fathers and mothers to others in the church, not just their own family. And that is what we should be as church if we recognize our, our roles as men and women. The fact that we are deliberately made different by God is not something we need to regret or be disappointed about, but something we should rejoice in and something to give God thanks for. Let's um, have a moment of uh, quiet to just uh, think through what has been said, to ask God to tell you what he's saying to you through all this, other responsibilities that you need to live up to. Have you lost confidence in the, the fact that you stand before God as saved, as, as equal before him? What it means to be made in his image. Praise God for that. Rejoice in it. Moment of quiet. Then I'll pray. Father God, we praise you that you have made us in your image. That we can glorify you in all things. We can point to you as the great creator, the designer. We praise you for this world that you've placed us in. We praise you that you've made us equal before you. We praise you that we each have that opportunity to give our lives to you, to acknowledge our need of you, the need of a saviour. And that message of salvation is one which is given to, to each one of us, male and female alike. And Father, we thank you that you have made us for one another, for all the different ways in which we complement each other. We thank you for our different strengths and gifts. And Lord, we do pray that you would help us to live up to the responsibilities you've given us. Where we are confused by the message that we're getting from the world, we do pray that we would ignore that and turn to the teaching that comes from your Bible, the, the teaching that uh, has stood the test of time, that is still just as valid today as it was 2,000 years ago. And Lord, give us strength uh, where we know we are weak, where we know we lack commitment or initiative, where we lack faithfulness, servant-heartedness, where we lack respect for one another. Help us to treat one another honorably in the way that you intended. 
and help us do this, Lord, for your glory, that as we do so, then as relationships are strengthened, we will build up this church by the power of your spirit working through us. In Jesus' name, amen.